Let's get rolling. We're going to get into the Word today. We're continuing the series we've been talking about for the last several weeks called The New Man. And the thing that I want you guys to walk away from in all of this, and we're, we're really laying a foundation, which is crazy because I think this is the fourth week or the fifth week or the twelfth week. I don't remember how long we've been doing this, but we're laying a foundation of the Word. As you guys know, I'm a Word guy. I study the Scriptures frequently. I spend hours. I mean, I've told you guys this before, but every Sunday sermon that I do spends between 25 and about 35 hours a week just in study and prep. Now, that may sound crazy to you for someone who's going to speak for 30 minutes, but it's because I take it seriously. And uh, I, I feel like the word needs to be devoted to because that is where we get our, our basis of truth from. It's not based off of my opinion. I could get up here and spout off my opinions on a whole bunch of different stuff. But frankly, if they're not grounded in the word, it means nothing to you. I mean, for some of you, when you find out I'm a Nebraska fan, you just shut me off immediately. Like, oh, that's it. That guy screwed up. He don't know nothing. You can't root for Nebraska and know Jesus. That's just not possible. Right? That's just how some of y'all are. I've got a good friend of mine who's a diehard Alabama fan. Diehard. Die hard. Yeah, I, yeah, die hard. And um, it is amazing because when Alabama and LSU play, uh, and this was a few years ago, he, uh, he was in town, and he turns into a different guy during that game. Like, he's a, he's a mild-mannered guy. He's funny. He's easy to talk to and stuff. But he becomes insane during that game. And his wife, it's like she drank that stuff that Dr. Jekyll drank, you know, and become Mr. Hyde, because she's throwing stuff at my TV. Like, it was, it was insane, and Alabama happened to lose that game. So this is several years ago because I don't think Alabama ever loses games anymore. So that's unfortunate. We need to pray for all the other teams that have to play them and get them out of there. But anyway, but the point is, guys, is that we have to be people of the Word, and we have to know what the Bible says. If you haven't picked up on it, and this is something the Lord told me when I moved here three years ago. It's like, we're going to teach the Word. And we're going to keep it that simple because I'm not up here to give you my opinion. My opinion is irrelevant if it is not founded in Scripture because Scripture is the basis of all truth. And the thing that we're going for, and this is where we've got to go, is that you need to know who you are in Christ. This is ultimately the end goal is why we're doing all this, laying this foundation. The reason we have talked about the things that we've talked about is because you need to get it in your head and get it in your heart and have a belief in the scriptures, not simply agree with it. The truth is, is that in America today, we have a hallmark Christianity. We can go around and quote some verse here or quote some verse there, some inspirational message. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. You know, and we're like, oh, that's all great. And we agree with all of that, but we don't truly believe it. We don't believe what the Word says because if we did, there's a sense of authority that comes with that. I mean, you think about it for a second, and I know you've seen this, all right? They'll be down in a major city, not this city, okay? This city's not major. I don't know if you knew that or not. But in a major city, and I'm going to use this, so you gotta, guys, forgive me, okay? I'm making a lot of Nebraska reference. This was not my plan. But, but up there in Lincoln, when I go to a football game and you're leaving the stadium, there's a whole bunch of guys with badges on that are directing traffic. Why? Because you have a bunch of unfriendly people people that don't care if you ever make it home. They just want to get to where they're going. And so these guys are, are standing up there and they're directing traffic. And you know what they're using? Two things, their hands and a whistle. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but neither your hands or a whistle will stop an oncoming car. Okay? You can try it. Let me know how it works out for you. We will pray for you. Okay? That will be the end of it. Or we may do your funeral. Either one. But what makes him so confident to stand there in that thing with cars coming on every side? 
It's the authority that he has. That badge is a representation of the authority that is given to him. That if you cross him in any way or he's having a bad day, you're either going to jail or it's going to get real expensive. One of the two. And that is what we have to get to when it comes to Christianity. The reason that they have a confidence is because they know the authority that they have. And they walk in it every single day. But we as believers, we don't. We walk around timid. There's a reason that Peter says that the enemy goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The problem is, is that he may devour. In other words, you've got to let him do it. And we let him do it all the time. He tears down our faith. He's out there doing his work. And the problem is, is we ain't doing the Lord's work. We're his ambassadors. And we've talked about this. The reason we talk about being a new man in Christ, the reason we talked about the, the, um, the different um, covenants that, that God has set out is to understand that this covenant relationship that we have with Jesus is not based on any merit that you bring to the table. It is based off of him. Therefore, if you were not good enough to earn it and enter into it, you cannot be bad enough to uh, lose it and exit out of it because it wasn't based off of your abilities. Some of the covenants were. The Mosaic covenant was based off what God brought to the table and what the nation of Israel brought to the table. That means it was based off something that man could do. And guess what? They screwed it up several times over, almost immediately. But the new covenant, this relationship that we have with Jesus, is based on an agreement between the Father and the Son that was laid down before the foundation of the world that you and I could enter into if all we do is believe in Him and His work. It's not based off our work. Because if it was based off our work, then there would be a litmus test in which we could say, okay, yep, you finally reached it. Christianity is the only religion that does not require you to sacrifice everything to God. Every other one, because it is based off the sacrifice that God made for you. you got to get the antithesis there. You have to understand this, because when you get it, when it sinks in your heart, then you will walk around confidence in the authority that God has laid out. Amen? All right, now let's get started. I haven't even started yet. Anybody want to talk more football? We can do that. Colossians chapter 3, we read this every week, we're going to read it again. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, If then you were raised with Christ. Hold on, when were we raised with Christ? At the cross, right? When Jesus died, we were raised with him out of that grave, if we believe. This is what it's telling us. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Where is he at? He's above, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ is who, our, who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay? When did we die? When Christ died. When we were raised up. When he was raised up. Those who believe. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Which member is on the earth? Your body. Where is your spirit? According to Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, you are seated at the right hand of God because you are the body of Christ and that is where Christ is. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Okay? We were all there at one point. But now you, yourselves, are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, uh, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image who, him, of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbian, scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Old man, new man. Old man died. New man raised with Christ. 
We're talking about doing baptism a couple weeks. That's exactly the picture that we are painting. You go into the water as the old man. You come out as the new man. Raised one in Christ. So, if you are born again, you died once. But you are raised with Christ never to die again. You guys get that? you got to be with me here. Because all of this stuff that it's talking about is sin. Right? It's basically, let's call it one thing, it's sin. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, referring to Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Same thing. It's saying the exact same thing that we just read before. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why do you think that is? Because that's not you. We regard people spiritually. If they're born again, we got to deal with the flesh. We're supposed to crucify, right? That's what we're supposed to do. But we don't regard them according to that. We regard them according to the change that took place in them because now they are Christ's imager. They're made in his likeness. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer because he's not there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's pause there for a minute. If he said, if Jesus is saying here, and this is Paul speaking, but these are basically what Jesus said, that the old man is gone, the new man is gone, so everything that was of the past is gone, and all things are made new, then why do we allow the past to control us? The things that we've done. I have seen people come out of horrible backgrounds. I mean, done some terrible, terrible things. But according to this... That if you are made in the image of Christ, all of that is gone. But yet we let that control us. We make up more excuses why we don't do the work of God than anything else on this earth. Okay? I mean, Paul and I have all year long been trying to make up excuses for Mike Riley and the terrible Nebraska Cornhuskers. Why they lose. You know what the number one thing is? They're not very good. It was easy. Right? Paul and I solved the problem. Let's get better players. We're going to kick them all out and start over. Lord, I apologize. But, but the thing is, it's like, hold on. What is, it's, it's not based off of your merit. Do you get that? You've got to understand that. In other words, the things of God are not based off of what you bring to the table. Yes? It's based off of what he did. You've got to get that. Don't just agree with it. You've got to believe it. Therefore, when we do the things that God has told us to do, i.e., preach the gospel to all nations, i.e., lay hands on the sick, Whose work is that based off of? Simply God's. What are we doing? We are being obedient to the word of God. Why do we do it? Because we believe it. So who, who is in charge of the results of that action? It's God, not you and I. You and I bring very little to the table outside of obedience. That's the only thing we bring. Let's go on. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We'll come back to that. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the right 
righteousness of God in Him. My favorite part in this is that we implore you on whose behalf. It is not your own. It is Christ. Why? For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish and have everlasting life. We go to these people who we will call, we're going to call them lost, all right? Not born again. And we talk to them about the gospel. And we're not pleading them in Christ's behalf. We're really pleading them on our behalf because we care about them. But who wants to see their lives died and made new? It's Christ. It's His behalf. Now, we talked about this reconciliation and, and the ministry of reconciliation. The definition of reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relationships and a peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. Ordinary, it also includes the removal of the offense which has caused the disruption of peace and harmony. So, what did Christ do? Through himself, the work that he did, the dying on the cross, being risen, rose again, that he reconciled the world to himself because he's not imputing their trespasses. In other words, the things of which they did not do according to the things of God, we'll call that sin, because he took that on himself. And then he committed us the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. And we looked at this last week and said, you know what? If we're supposed to be doing this because he gave it to us, we ought to know what he did, right? Because we should be doing this. And then it says that we are ambassadors for Christ. So what is an ambassador? It's a messenger or envoy officially representing a higher authority. They're acting on behalf of somebody else. We see that with foreign dignitaries that come into this nation. So here's the thing, guys. When we're looking at all these things, this is just the intro. We're not even gotten to the stuff we're going today. We have to understand these words. We cannot read the Bible as if we're sitting like, oh, yeah, I get what that means. Because the truth is, nobody in here knows what the ministry of reconciliation is. We guess. That's cute. That sounds good. And then we read verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. They write songs about that. But that's got to get in you. Here's a sinless person made to be sin because we sinned. And he took that sin upon himself and removed it from us and created us in his likeness and in his image for us who believe. That's powerful. That's very powerful. And then we read this, 1 John 3, 8. It says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. We have got to break this down, because we have to understand this. What are the works of the devils? Because why did Jesus come? To destroy them. Yes? When we look up the word purpose, it means the reason for which something is done or created, or for which something exists. So according to John, why did Jesus come to this earth? Destroy the works of the devil. Okay? So what are the works of the devil? Okay? This is the interactive portion of the program today. What is the works of the devil? I mean, think about it for a minute. What, what would we say? If we were looking and say, all right, devil, what, what, what did he do? Could we say lying? Yeah, we could say lying. Okay, we're right lying here. I don't know if I spelled that right. Public school. Sin? Okay, yeah. I'm going to put sin right here in the middle. Pride. What else? Sickness, poverty, very good. Did you say death? I like that one. I heard something else. What else? Fear? I'm sure you guys can all read my handwriting, right? I went to public school. Anything else? Unforgiveness, how about that? I mean, the truth is, guys, 
We could go on and on and on. We just read some. I mean, earlier we read, we read you know, some of the things that we used to do. Um, yeah, uncleanness, fornication, passions, evil desire, covetousness. I mean, I got, we, could, we could make a list as into the world. But he said he came to destroy the works of the devil. We have to break that down. What are the works of the devil? And the question comes down to, are these things symptoms or are those the cause? You see, we're often chasing around after the symptoms. We talk about this country, all right? This country is a mess right now. I've never seen such division in this country. But is it simply a race thing? Is it, is it simply that this person doesn't like that person? I mean, the ideology is over here versus the ideology over here. Or is there an underlying cause that those are all symptoms of? That's what we've got to look at. So, in order to figure out what did Jesus come to destroy, which we know is the works of the devil, what they are, we've got to look at what Jesus said and what he did, yes? Okay, so we're going to read this, we read this last week, we'll read it again. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Kyle, am I going slow enough for you? You want me, you want me to speed up? Okay. Slow down. <laughs> Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, this is Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. I mean, could you imagine? Little old Jesus of Nazareth shows up. He's there every single week. They hand him the book of Isaiah, and he goes into this. And this is what he says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, this is powerful, right? He's saying all these things. It's talking about me. That's a bold statement. He's lucky he didn't get stoned right then and there because he's basically claiming one thing. I am the Messiah. It's pretty bold. He's a young guy here. Now, when we talk about this, these are the things that he came to do, right? All of these things, it, it, preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind. We could break those down into the different facets of what they are, but there's really one thing that Jesus came to destroy. Only one thing. Everything past that, honestly, is a symptom of this one thing. And we've got to decide what the symptom is. So, what do you think that is? What is the symptom? Or excuse me, what is the cause of all of these other things? It's this sin. You see, if you looked at all of this stuff, what separates us from God is not lying. It's not pride. It is sin. Sin in the He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He became the very thing that we were. You guys follow me on this? Now let's go back to the beginning because we see this. Satan brought sin into the world through temptation by twisting the very word of God. Right? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, this Adam and Eve just got created. They're gone on the earth. Things are going well. And it says in verse 1, Now the serpent, who was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now wait a minute. Did she know what God said? Yes, she did. Now she added to it a little bit, right? Because from what we can see, God never said that you couldn't touch it. She said don't eat it. But be that as it may, she knew what the Word said, what the Word of God said. Yes? 
Then the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here's the thing. Did God really say this? And she knew what God had said. And he still convinced her. And at this point, sin has now entered the world, right? Now, what is the result of sin entering the world? We've got to go to Romans 5 for that. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. How did death get here? It goes back to this. Following me? Okay. And thus death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You see, death entered in because of sin. And then we can look at the rest of the stuff. Well, is pride sin? Yeah. Why would we be prideful? You see, it talks about the free gift. How can you be prideful in your relationship with God if it's not based off of your merit? That's what it talks about in Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of your own works, lest any man should boast. Your righteousness is not based off of you. How can we be proud of that? Right? All we did is put our belief in Jesus. Okay? Lying is a result of what? Sin. A sinful heart. Sickness is what? It's slow death. All entered into this world as a result of sin. We could even go to poverty, right? Did God create us to suffer in poverty? Absolutely not. And you know what's interesting is when you look at this, the, the, what God says to do as a result, if you want to be rich, what are you supposed to do? You give, Right? It's the opposite of what you typically tell. In school, they say, hey, you want to be rich? You need to save every dime you got and invest in this, 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 and this. You'll be a very wealthy man. And yet God said, give, and it'll be given to you. All of this stuff, the ways of God are the antithesis to the things of this world on how to handle those situations. The exact opposite. That is the reason a lot of times the people who are the most wealthy are the most generous. I have watched a man give away his entire fortune three times, and no matter how hard he tries, he's still wealthy. I'm not talking a portion of it. I'm talking all of it. And it all comes back to him for two reasons. Number one, he believes what God says about this. And number two, he's smart with money. Okay? So if I cut my arm off and I say, hmm, that hurt. God, will you heal me? What would be a good solution to not have that happen again? Maybe not do something stupid like cut my arm off. Okay? I mean, you guys get it? We're, we're, half of our problems are self-inflicted. But this is what Jesus did. Why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the devil. Ultimately, what was the work of the devil? Sin entered the world. 
through the temptation that he gave. Now, Isaiah 52, when we look at this, we know that this is about Jesus, right? But these are the things that Jesus came to do. Isaiah 52, we're going to start in verse 13. We're going to read through 53 and verse 12. You guys, most of you in here have heard this probably a million times. It says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled to be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men, so he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what they did, had not been told them they shall see, and what they have not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to him who has the arm of the Lord been revealed. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground, and it has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, it was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. For he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall be see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for we shall bear the iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death. He was numbered with the transgressor. He bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. This is talking about Jesus, right? Jesus said that in, this, in your hearing today, this message has been uh, revealed, right? Or fulfilled, excuse me. Going back to the book of Isaiah. We know what this is talking about. And there were two things that he dealt with. He says that he was bruised, wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. You've got two things going on. A bruise is an internal bleeding. A wound is an external bleeding. In other words, he's starting with the internal, making the change. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, you're no longer sinful. The exterior, we have to deal with. The Holy Spirit who leads us in all truth makes these things that are things that are contrary to God. We work on that. But Jesus did the work that's made us righteous through his sacrifice. We have to understand that. Now we watch these very things take place in the works of Jesus. Because remember, he came for one purpose, destroy the works of the devil. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. It says, now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. That's his mother-in-law. Peter is more compassionate of a man than I am. Wah, wah, wah. All right. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. When evening had come, now watch this. They brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And what did he do? He cast out the spirits with the word. And then what did he do? He healed all who were sick. 
all of them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying this, He himself took our infirmities, and he bore our sickness. Now, when you study Scripture to understand what one passage says, what do we do? We look at a fulfillment of that passage somewhere else to get an understanding of it. So according to Matthew 8, when it says that he took our infirmities and he bore our sickness, what are we talking about? We're talking about the internal, the sin is removed, and he bore our sickness, which is an external thing that is happening. Not, we're talking about a spirit and a physical, yes? All things were made right by God. What did he do? Destroy the works of the devil. By destroying sin, sickness has no place. Death has no place because we died with him on the cross, but we were raised to life with him on the day of resurrection. You guys following me with this? We are made new in the image of God. We have to get that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Going back to Isaiah. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that is the cross, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Did you die to sins? Yes, you did. You will live through the resurrection for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. He bore our sins to take death away. Why did he do this? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We have to understand what's taking place here. It's the work of Jesus. When did Jesus decide that he was going to die in our place? Before time began. When did time begin? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. In order to have a beginning, you have to have a beginner. He's the uncaused first cause. God created time, space, and matter in verse 1 of Genesis 1. So before that happens, he's made this decision, but has now been revealed by the appearing of himself, and what did he do? He abolished death. And he brought life and immortality. Is he talking about our physical body? No. Spiritually speaking, you cannot die twice. You only die once with Jesus on the cross. Resurrected. Death has been abolished to all those who believe in him through the light of the gospel. You guys follow on that? We are righteous because God made us righteous. Because we have chosen to believe in him. Now, a question I get asked all the time, 
And I literally mean all the time. With our, our teenagers, we've been teaching through Genesis. This is a question I get asked. If God knew that we were going to sin, why on earth would he make us in the first place? And the second part of that question is, is why would you put any opportunity for man to screw this up? In other words, you can eat of any tree in the garden, all of them, anyone that you want, but this one right here, you can't eat of it. If you're going to make that tree, why don't you put it a long ways away so they can't just happen by and say, ooh, that looks tasty. And secondly, why make it in the first place? It's a fair question. It really is. But to understand it, we've got to think biblically. First of all, if there's no opportunity for man to choose to resist God, then did they choose to love Him in the first place or were they forced into it? In other words, there is no other alternative but loving God. Imagine this for those of you that are married, that you walked up to your wife-to-be at some point and said, Guess what? You're going to marry me. By the way, my name is Stan. Right? Does the woman get a vote? Well, at least here she does. Should she get a vote? Yes. I mean, if you're like me, it took some convincing. Right? It wasn't a one-time asking. It took some begging and pleading, and there was a cash exchange involved. Right? Because I had to convince my wife to lower her standards. And she's like, well, I'm not getting any younger, I guess. But, but think about that. In other words, if God did not create an opportunity for them to choose not to obey Him, then they did not have free will. We must choose God, right? They made a decision. They weren't forced to choose God. They had the opportunity to fail and decided not to do that, right? So they were given free will. Without free will, we are nothing but moist robots going around and doing what we're forced to do. We are no longer slaves, but we are friends. Why? Because we have chosen God. But why would he do this? Look at John chapter 15 and read this in light of what I just told you. In John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is it right here. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Why did Jesus put that tree there? And why did he decide before the foundation of the world that he was going to die for us? Because it is the greatest expression of love on this earth he chose that to show you how much he loved us did he know we were going to sin before he ever made us absolutely he did he chose to do it anyway because it is the greatest expression of love is to lay down one's life for his friends and look at verse 14 you are my friends if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask in the, the Father in my name he may give you, these things I command you, that you love one another. And how do we love one another? We lay down our lives for them. It's the example that Jesus said. <clears throat> this is it, guys. This is why Jesus did what he did. It's the greatest expression of love. And so he knew he was going to have to come in here and destroy the works of the devil. There was never a question of that. But let's look at Romans chapter 16. Or excuse me, 6. We'll start in verse 15. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death 
or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God bethink that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have then in the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, what did he come to destroy? The works of the devil. What did he destroy? He destroyed sin. Because you are no longer slaves to sin. You've been, he broke that for you. You guys get that? This is what's been taken away. These are all a result of that. These are the symptoms. This is the cause. Jesus got rid of the cause. We've got to walk in that power of what he did and understand it. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. Why? Because of his work. You guys following me? So what did he come to destroy? This on our behalf. Everything else is subsequent to that. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. We're almost done, I promise. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for the, which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you, and again I will put my trust in him, and again here am I and the children whom God has given me. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He destroyed him who had the power of death. Who had the power of death? Satan. Ultimately, death will be destroyed, it says in Revelation. But how did he do it? By taking sin on the cross and removing it. That's Everything is here, guys. You guys getting this? The reason we have to understand this is because we can't do the works of God until we realize there is no sin in us. Now, yes, we fight this battle with our flesh wanting to do things. It says that the mind is an enemy of God. We've got all these other things. But God removed that sin. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. The key there is in Christ, not in being good, going to church, giving donations, doing good things, helping grandma across the street. None of that. It is in Christ, his work. What did he destroy? He destroyed sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're made righteous in him. That means we are just like he is. When we're talking about his ambassadors and the ministry of reconciliation, what are we supposed to be telling people? That God removed sin. He destroyed it. On the cross. 
that if you believe in him, you can have everlasting life because death no longer has a hold on you because you're no longer a slave to sin. You guys get it? Do you believe it? Don't agree with it. Believe it. Get it in your heart. We have to get this past this idea that somehow we're not clean enough and not good enough. The reason that we are those things is because God said we are those things. The reason that policeman can stand in the street with a whistle in his hands and direct these thousand pound vehicles coming at him very quickly is because the authority that was given to him and he puts his confidence in that authority that if it gets, somebody gets out of line, they're going to pay that price. They're confident. If only we were so confident in the things of God. If you ever get past the idea that you are in bondage to the enemy and a slave to sin, imagine what we could do for the Lord in this earth and the difference that we could make. That maybe we would walk around doing the things that Jesus did, preaching the gospel, teaching in the churches, and laying hands on the sick and watching them recover. Now let's look at 1 John 3 one more time, and then we're going to be done. In 1 John chapter 3, we've been reading verse 8, but let's go back to 1, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called what? The children of God. How are we called that? Through His Son. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not been yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Where are our sins? Wherever he put them. He took them away. And in him there is no sin. Are you in him? If you're a believer you are. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. you got two opposing thoughts here. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Is it possible for your spirit to enter into sinfulness once again, once it's been reborn? It is not because of what Jesus said, because of the work that he has done. Therefore, we should walk confidently in the things of God and the authority that he's given us. Yes, we're going to look at that in depth. We're going to begin to look at the different things that Jesus did, why he did them. But most importantly, the thing that we need to understand and what I want you to take away is what did Jesus come to destroy? Sin. That is the ultimate work of the devil. He came to destroy. Did he accomplish what he came to do? I sure think so because when he's hanging on the cross right before he died, what did he say? It is finished. That means what do we got to do to be made right in God? Nothing. Believe. Believe that you receive when you pray. That's it. Guys, it's so simple. Why do we make it so complicated? I don't know. We're screwed up. That's what we do. It's what we do. We make it more complicated. There are churches everywhere across the country that say, okay, you want to be made with God, you got to do this list of things. On one hand, you got the list of do's. 
And then you've got what the Bible says, that Jesus has done it. Which is easier to believe? That he's done it. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen.